HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the Dairy Farm Families of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheese that win more awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, this is Diane Stemple on Cutting the Curd on Heritage Radio Network, interviewing in studio Elena Santagade, whose book, The Beginner's Guide to Cheesemaking, has just come out. Welcome, Elena. Thanks, Diane. Happy to be here. I'm very happy to have you. Uh, Elena was just on recently discussing the Oxford Companion to Cheese, which she was a uh, partial author of. Very contributing writer, right? Much contributing different writer, project, right? Much different project. Uh, anyway, so um, Alina, you have packed so many experiences into your cheese life, and writing a book is just one of them. Correct. That's true. That is true. Yeah. So, are you a writer, or were you a writer, or were you an English major? Well, uh, I was an English major. Mm. That's the easiest part of that question to answer. Okay, good. Um, So, you know, for anyone who thinks that that English major from a liberal arts college isn't going to get you anywhere, it's not true. (laughs) Um, Well, weren't you working in publishing? I did work in publishing for a few years right out of college Mm -hmm. because that seemed like the obvious thing to do with that major. And mm-hmm. uh, But I actually was never in the editorial side of things. I was always on the sales side. Oh, okay. Now, was there a book way back, pre-cheese, that you imagined writing? No. I mean, I think like so many people who, who have writing on their radar, I just sort of vaguely thought of myself as a writer through my childhood. I had mm-hmm. about... I mean, my parents can attest to the number of empty notebooks with a few words scrawled on the first page, right? You know, the beginning of your great 11-year-old 11, right. 11 
memoir. Uh, memoirs. <laughs> so, um, you know, known as a diary with a yes, lot, hopefully. Uh, a one page diary. I have many of those. <laughs> and I did always imagine myself as a writer, but I had no specific uh, project in mind. You didn't have a work, no, a, I, a masterpiece no, in mind. No. Okay, okay. So, how did this book idea come to you? Did you find them or did they find you? Well, that was the that's sort of the unusual part of the project. So the, the this publisher Rockridge Press um, sort of comes at it from a different angle, and they're you know uh, actually based in Berkeley, and they uh, use kind of search data uh, in this digital age to look for project ideas that people want to see, mm-hmm. to basically see what people are trying to find out about, mm. and then they decide on projects that they want to pursue. And then they find content people to write the projects. Oh, so So, sort of backwards. Yeah, sort of a backwards, like Mm -hmm. a roundabout process. Um, And there was actually a very funny connection that I had with somebody at the publisher. Mm -hmm. um, Are you going to tell us the funny connection? I I think I'm going to tell you the story. Okay, good. Okay, here it comes. (laughs) Back in in my home cheesemaking days, in the height of it, Mm -hmm. I, um, I mean, I was... I was really getting deep into it. And at some point I, I sent out a little note to everybody I knew saying, I'm looking for small refrigerators, you know, (laughs) give me your small refrigerator and I will put cheese in it. Mm. So, uh, oddly enough, that was a fruitful call to action because a friend of a friend Mm -hmm. who, uh, worked in the, in the publishing industry, had a little wine fridge that they weren't using. Mm-hmm. And I showed up at his house uh, in Sunset Park, and I picked up the wine fridge and announced that I would be filling it with my bizarre home cheese-making creations. Uh-huh. And I think that was a delight to everyone involved. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I, I think that it's, you know... You'd have a storage facility? Oh, for me, it was a delight because, yes, I wanted yeah. this, you know, I wanted to create the prime conditions for cheese mm-hmm. aging. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just fun to see your belongings take on new life, I mm-hmm. think, is mm-hmm. how... Uh, so it was a wine, like, bigger than a college refrigerator? Actually, smaller. Small, and I wound up procuring also a college refrigerator that okay. was bigger. Okay, and so I used the wine fridge for uh, at first bloomy rinded cheeses and then mm-hmm. blues ah. to keep them. Separate. Could you change the temperatures of both these fridges? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, and okay. I, I originally I had a crazy setup because I was going to try to override the thermometer in the college fridge, but I found that. Your run-of-the-mill college fridge actually runs quite warm. <laughs> and so I was able to achieve optimal oh, okay. cheese aging you didn't, temperatures. You didn't have to uh, mess with it. didn't have to it. drill holes in okay. it, no, not in the end. Okay, so did you have, so so you still haven't said oh, right. how they found you. That was the be- only the beginning of the story. Oh, okay. So uh, a friend of a friend, Brian Hurley, gave me that wine refrigerator, and I went on my way and filled it with cheese. And in the ensuing years, Brian moved to the West Coast and mm-hmm. started working for Rockridge Press. And apparently one day uh, they had an editorial meeting, and they had sort of landed on the fact that people seemed to be searching for how to make cheese at home. And yeah, how to do home cheese making books. And I guess I, I sort of imagine that someone said, does anyone know a, a good writer who knows how to make cheese at home? And so then it came full circle. Huh. And Brian reached out to me to see if I'd be interested in the project. Oh, no, I thought you had gotten it from someone else. No, there wasn't someone who was mm-hmm. already signed up. 
No. Oh, that, okay. That was must that's be a different how book. It happened. Okay. Now, how long were your cheese making years at home, and did it was it all when you were in publishing? Uh, no, it was actually. I would say I made cheese really actively at home for about three. Three to four years, three years mo- mm-hmm. mostly, mm-hmm. and it began when I was in publishing um, because I had sort of had time and space, and I had I was you know that's a nice living that you can make in publishing, nice solid living. So I was able to purchase a cheese press and all this mm-hmm. equipment. It was really fun, mm-hmm. um, and then I ended up. Um, kind of getting crazier. I, I went another direction and was doing community organizing and uh, advocacy work. And my time got sort of spent on that sort of stuff for a while. But Were you doing that as your job? I or? was doing oh, that okay. as my job. Okay. Yeah. Now, have, did you actually make all these recipes? I will say, so there's 49 recipes for okay. cheese making in the book. Okay. And I made the majority of them okay. over the years that I mm-hmm. was intensely doing it. And a lot of so them... So even then, oh, you, yeah. were, you yeah. were making all different kinds yeah, and oh, yeah. styles and... Yes, and, and the, the harder age stuff and mm-hmm. playing around with the blues and... Because mm-hmm. I think that's one of the unusual things about your book, is that you're not just making fresh cheeses. You are going whole hog and doing everything. And what's uh, for people who haven't seen the book yet, what's amazing is that you recommend that the person reading the book, that their second cheese <laughs> be a hard tome that they age three to six months. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's what I'll say. That's that's sort of the way the book is laid out is there yes. are these different tutorials mm-hmm. that are that are very in depth. Yes. And so the second while the second tutorial is for the harder age cheese. Yes. After you do the first tutorial, which is for a softer, much sort of easier to make and quicker turnaround cheese, there is there are a bunch of recipes for softer cheeses. Okay. So I yeah, imagine so you can there are people who may skip around. Right. And I imagine people wouldn't go from fresh chev to a to the tome. tome. Yeah. I mean that would be a big leap. That would be tricky. <laughs> yes. Yes. But I do think that it's sort of fun to have to jump in early on, and even if you don't fully grasp what you're doing yet, to have some of those harder-aged cheeses aging out while you're making your way through the shorter, yeah, the quicker yeah. turnaround cheeses, just so you can sort of see what happens over right, time. Right, right. Have something in the bank almost. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, it's a lot of waiting. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so when were those days exactly? What years? So in, let's see... In 2010, 2009, 2010, Mm -hmm. 2011, those were big years for me in this intensity. (laughs) And now that I'm saying those actual years, it did overlap uh, quite a bit with my uh, community Mm -hmm. activism Mm -hmm. sort of years when I was doing it. And when was, uh, when did you get your first cheese job and what year was that? So my first cheese job was, you know, it's crazy how recent... It really was. It was in the fall of 2011, I believe. Okay. I started working at Brooklyn Larder uh. for my friend Sergio Hernandez. Oh, okay. Okay. And, um, you know, Sergio... Now, how did you meet him? So, Sergio... I met Sergio uh, as a customer. Uh-huh. I was really... I, I didn't live too far from Brooklyn Larder, so I would walk over on weekends and taste all the cheese, and I bought a lot of cheese there. I got mm-hmm. to know the staff. Mm-hmm. And eventually, when I was making cheese, I would bring my cheeses to Sergio for him to taste. Oh, excellent. 
Excellent. And, so and did he respect your cheeses? I think he did. I mean, he 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 even t- tasted them in front of me, so I know he didn't just spit them out or throw them away. You know, no, Sergio was a great. You know, he was a mm-hmm. he was really up for it, um, and he would give me little tasting notes, and we'd talk about how the cheeses were, and eventually, Sergio said. You know, you gotta just. What are you doing? You gotta come work in cheese, right? You seem to be really into this. Which I know not that many people. I don't think spend three years making cheese at home, and then work in cheese. Maybe they'll become a cheesemaker, right? But and move to Vermont or Wisconsin. But they don't usually then go work at a store. It's true. It's Uh, it's an unusual path. Well, it also was, you know, I I like to I think of myself as actually not, very risk averse, mm-hmm. and so for about I don't know six to eight months or so, I worked for Sergio on nights and weekends while I still had my full time job. Oh, okay, so you put your toe in. So I was trying it out because mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if uh, cheese retail was going to be the thing for me mm-hmm. since I had enjoyed cheese making, but. Mm-hmm. I totally fell for it. Uh huh. <laughs> so then you went full time at Brooklyn Larder, or uh, no? Then I actually went full time at Beecher's. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. okay. And I think that's when you first popped up on my radar screen. Perhaps, yeah, perhaps. Yeah. So anyway, so who joined you? You refer to your your friends. Uh, are any of them? Are some of those friends in the cheese world now? My uh, my home cheese making friends yes. that I met in the very beginning. Oh yes. Um, a lot of people that, that, well, it's a small group, but I'm sure you know Matt Spiegler, mm-hmm. the, the blogger of CheeseNotes.com, and now Cheesemaker up at Jasper Hill Farm. Right. Um, and Matt was a, an early contact of mine, as well as a friend named Yoav Perry. Mm-hmm. Who, oh, I know uh, him too. Sells cheese making equipment now, um, mm-hmm. and also is a very uh, intense home cheesemaker and makes really interesting cheeses uh-huh. and even ages meats at home as well. Okay. And did he already have a line on uh, equipment or d- uh, is that how he got into yeah, I think, cheese I think equipment? Yoav was, I mean, he might, he, he would have to correct me, but I think he was already mm-hmm. kind of finding cheese, mm-hmm. cheese making equipment at that time. And how did you did did you know them already? Well, so th- that was two of them. Then also John Bonanno, who, who had worked uh, actually for Anne mm-hmm. at Saxelby at Saxelby mm-hmm. Cheese, and had worked for some cheesemaker, and Jos Volto mm-hmm. um, of Volto Creamery. Yes, who and, went on to become a full-time cheesemaker. Yeah, yeah. so Jos tur- turned pro, I like to say. Uh-huh. And, um, and so did Matt now. I, yep. I mean, Matt for mm-hmm. a while was making cheese just at home. So mm-hmm. we all, I think, I really don't know how we initially connected, but I... I think I found Yos's blog. I mm-hmm. got introduced to a couple people somehow, and mm-hmm. then the the f- one the thing five led to another. Us, yeah, one thing led to another, and the five of us would meet up and taste each other's home cheese making cre- creations. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't so much make it together as taste it together. No, we would taste it together. Okay. Yeah, we'd get together, mm-hmm. we'd taste each other's cheeses, mm-hmm. kind of talk about what we were doing and trying to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the two who turned real cheese making pro were cut above. You know, especially me, who is the 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 soon to be retailer of the group. Um, their cheeses were a lot. Your cheeses quality. were not good. No, you know, I'm quick to I'm quick to admit in the book 
that I I am in no way or shape claiming to be an excellent cheesemaker. Oh, okay. Um, I think what? I really, through my own explorations, I, I really learned how to make cheese. Right. But learned how hard it is? Well, definitely learned how hard it is. And then quickly learned that my love for it was... More on a eating. retail. <laughs> it's more in the eating side. And and what percent in the early days of cheeses made were edible? I mean, was were they all edible? Oh, yeah. But just not that I'd great. Say most of them were, okay. were edible. I mean, okay. I had a few. Like when I would try different categories of cheese making, which I, I kind of point out in the book, you, when you get to another category and you're trying something completely new, there's mm-hmm. usually like one or two key steps that you completely miss. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very yeah. easy to do. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes with that, I'd have just a complete failure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'd say most of my cheeses were edible. I, Probably over half were decent, mm-hmm. and some were good. Okay. Yeah. Now, um, where did you get your milk? And was it harder then to get good, quality, fresh milk than it is now? You know, I I hunted around a lot for really good milk. I mean, there is a... Uh, people will talk about the raw milk clubs of America in the mm-hmm. States where it's not exactly kosher. And um, and I tried some of that out, but I mostly asked farmers at the farmer's market about their milk. Mm-hmm. And I eventually landed on, um, I had a couple of favorites, but even something as simple as Ithaca milk, I wound up making a lot of cheese with Ithaca milk, mm, okay. which is a local milk source that you could find in like specialty shops in okay. New York. Okay, it's time for us to take a break. This is Diane Stemple on Cutting the Curd. We're talking to Elena Santigate about her book, The Beginner's Guide to Cheesemaking. Today's program is brought to you by the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese, period. Why? Lush grasslands, glacial water supply, fourth-generation cheesemakers, combining old-world tradition with the new ideas and highest standards. The very best milk. What do you think of when you think of Wisconsin cheese? For me, I think cheese curds, delicious fresh cheese curds, or deep-fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally any way, any time, any place. I think about Andy Hatch and Upland's Cheese Company, the operation behind the Pleasant Ridge Reserve cheese that's literally America's most awarded cheese. I think of the deliciously stinky Limburger and its long-storied history. I think about Raleigh's Dumbarton Blue, a perfect blend of English-style cheddar and notes of blue. I think of Emmy Roth's Grand Cru Sirsois, which was named 2016's World Champion at the World Championship Cheese Contest. Wisconsin is like the world champion of cheese, and once you start reading the list of cheeses made in Wisconsin on their website, you can see why. The Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board is a nonprofit organization funded entirely by Wisconsin's dairy farm families. Read more at eatwisconsincheese.com. And as soon as you're done listening to this podcast, eat Wisconsin cheese. It's a no-brainer. Hi, Diane Stemple here, Cutting the Curd, Heritage Radio Network, talking to Elena Santigade, having a great time discussing how she wrote the book, The Beginner's Guide to Cheesemaking. So, uh, let's see. 
Next question. Did you go back when writing the book and remake any or all of the cheeses? And didn't you have to use a much, you know, more careful standard recipe wise to communicate to, you know, in a book? Good question. Uh, yes. And the answer is yes. I made, I didn't go back and make all of the cheeses that I had made a few years before when I was really intensely doing it because to my own, to my own great relief, (laughs) I had kept insanely detailed notes. Oh, on your make sheets. On my make sheets. Oh, the make sheets come through. (laughs) (laughs) Now, just I can't believe any of our listeners don't know what make sheets are, but could you explain oh, for, yeah. the, for the novice, perhaps? Yeah, so a make sheet is essentially a, a sort of a, a worksheet that contains your cheesemaking recipe. And the thing that I, that I really love about cheesemaking and that I try to convey in the book is that, like any cooking, really, a recipe is just a guideline. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are particular steps and very particular details in cheesemaking similar to bread baking, I think. Mm-hmm. They're very similar, although don't try to do them in the same room in the same day. Because <laughs> um, that won't go well. But that's a different show. Um, anyway, so in a make sheet, you, you, you sort of have your plan and you're also... Uh, detailing what actually happened. Right. So any criticisms or questions. Right, or weird situations, Mm -hmm. like the temperature dropped Mm -hmm. or, you know, you forgot to salt at the right, at the planned time, and so Mm -hmm. you salted it a few hours later. And so it's both a plan and a log. Mm -hmm. And this is really the crux of cheesemaking. Any cheesemaker would tell you, you know, the make Mm -hmm. sheet is, is... where it's all at. Right. Well, most cheesemakers make cheese over and over and over again, so exactly. they want to go back and see what made this particular batch right. delicious or horrible. Exactly. So that's you're never going to remember all that when you do it every day. Right. And for, you know, for those of for those of us who love to just keep track of details and who like journaling and who started the, of those many notebooks uh, earlier in life. Right. It's actually it's very a dream fun. Come true. It's a fun endeavor because you, you can never over notate. I think when it comes to cheese making is the sun out, what's the temperature outside? You know, you can go pretty far. Right. Right. Or what mood, what was the weather? If you, if you're milking cows, what was the weather and what mood were the cows in? What music were you playing? <laughs> As you washed the cheese. <laughs> okay, we can really we yeah, can get into it. You here. do speak about Zen in the yes. book. Yes. Right. Yes. Right. The Zen of cheese making. Zen of cheese making. Okay, now how long um okay, what what's your favorite cheese in the book? What's the easiest time wise and what's the easiest taste wise? Oh. This is, is that are, too hard? No, these are good questions. I mean, the easiest time-wise is pretty straightforward, because I'd say that's probably... The first... Well, I think that's probably fresh chev. Okay. Um, which I also just love as to have as people's first cheese, because you can learn... Even though it's a, a simpler make, you can learn a lot from it. Okay. And where do you get goat milk these days? You know, goat's milk... I mean, I'm a member of the Park Slope Food Co-op, mm-hmm. which our listeners probably know about, uh, and they actually sell goat's milk nowadays. Oh. Okay. Um, but there are some producers at the farmer's market that mm-hmm. will sell it. Okay. Um, and I actually think that in some of the more 
uh, mainstream groceries, but you know, nicer grocery stores, more natural foods oriented. You can find fresh goat's milk. You, you're right. You're right. Yeah. But will it be fresh? Well, that's always the question. Yeah. Um, that's why I think you got to go to the farmer's market. Okay. And even if you're, you know, the farmer who's selling goat cheeses, fresh goat cheeses may not have quarts of goat's milk out there obvious for sale, but if you inquire, right, you could set up a little deal. Right. Right. Okay, so uh, so the, that's the easiest cheese time wise. Right. What was the what second? was the easiest cheese taste wise? Like just it, it's a sure thing. For me, that was a the softer, bloomy rind cheeses. Mm. Those came out pretty well for me right mm-hmm. off the bat. I think a lot of home cheesemakers would say that that's that's sort of a confidence boosting moment. Okay, when you make those cheeses, because you know you have to go through a few more steps with those and you age them out a little bit, but they're. They're pretty forgiving if you mm. if you're doing it right and you're you know being sanitary and having good practices you can mm-hmm. make good soft they're reliable cheese. Okay. yeah that's yeah. nice mm-hmm. that's nice to know were there any particular favorites for giving gifts ah uh, I think in when I was making cheese consistently I gave two two gifts pretty regularly one was I would actually make fresh chev and I would then make chev chocolate chev truffles. Mm. With the fresh chev that I made. And oddly enough, that recipe is not in the book. <laughs> but anybody could really do that. If okay. you just mix some, you know, some uh, cocoa powder and sugar mm-hmm. with fresh chev and roll mm-hmm. it in balls and then and then dip it in more cocoa powder. And there you go. That's mm-hmm. the recipe. Okay. Uh, so that's a fun one. And then um, uh, the little soft ripened guys I would give or I'd mm-hmm. bring to parties. Okay. You know, I'd make a bunch of them and... and uh, and bring those around, and that was always really fun. And you were going to parties not with cheesemakers, correct? So, so yeah, they so were. they were especially amazed. They had <laughs> no idea <laughs> where my cheeses fell on the spectrum. Of, right, right. <laughs> no, they were good. They were good um, enough to bring around. And then I think it's really cute that you said you uh, fell into that, that publishing, and I guess maybe community activism didn't have a built-in social life necessarily mm-hmm. and that you found friends behind the cheese counter. Oh yeah, big time. I mean anybody who works who has worked for me at, at the retail shops that I've managed sort of knows this sob story and will probably roll their <laughs> eyes as I say it, but it's really true that I think as a retailer you never know what kind of a role you're playing in someone's life. And mm-hmm. I feel that Acutely, because of my own experience of really being new, new to New York as a grown-up, I, mm-hmm. I grew up in the city in my early years. But coming back uh, after college, I, I didn't come back with any friends from mm-hmm. college. It took people a little bit longer to come at, to move to New York, and it you know it takes a few years to really make friends. And so mm-hmm. I would just bop around, and like I was that person at the counter wanting to chat about the cheese. <laughs> And uh, the funny thing is, well, that I guess I shouldn't be laughing I know, because Diane, you did the same thing. <laughs> I just got on the other side of the counter faster right, in right. some ways. I you just, just said, made the leap. Oh, I just want to sell cheese. Whereas I skulked around for right, a while. Right, right. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, there were a few mongers at that time who, you know, whose counters I would frequent, who then became my distributor, my sales <laughs> rep. You know, once I once I really, you know jumped into the profession. So right, that was kind of right, a fun right. development, too. Yeah, yeah. So let's see. How long did it take to actually write the book? Oh. Well, I wrote this book 
pretty quickly. That's what I thought. Was yes. it in between jobs? Or? Uh, it start, you know, part of the project started when I was sort of taking my sabbatical, um, when I started kind of mapping things out. But a lot of it was written, you know, nights and weekends mm-hmm. in at an extremely intense sort of, I won't say pace because I never felt rushed, mm-hmm. but I did feel like there wasn't a single work shift that I created for myself that I could postpone. <laughs> And I, at the time... And that did was, you have a deadline? I did have a deadline. Okay. And that, it, it felt very intense at the time, and I was extremely grateful for the timeline afterwards because mm-hmm. I really felt I had no problem completing the book as quickly as I did, especially because it didn't involve a huge amount of research. Mm-hmm. I mean, this book was mostly... Right, you notes had your had already made and yeah. recipes, and there's not that much right. going on and on about stuff. Right. So mm-hmm. it was pretty straightforward in that sense, and I just had to plow through and kind of translate my own experiences mm-hmm. into this format. And then mm-hmm. make cheese and make some of the recipes on the side. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was an intense time. Okay. Now, your humorous, encouraging voice comes through over and over, even if it's just like a little sentence in a recipe. And you almost convinced me to make cheese. Uh- I rather do it watching you, though. I rather come over to your house and watch you. Well, you have an open invitation. (laughs) How did you decide the format of the book? Now, did they decide that the little cheese one hundred one and ask a pro and the pairings? Did they ask you to do that stuff and you just did it? You know, I most of it was really did come from the publisher or from conversations we had together, my editor and I. I was actually, this is my first experience working with an editor mm-hmm. on a project of some scope. Mm-hmm. And I was, I delighted in the process of that. I mean, I really felt like. You liked their help. I loved their help. And I thought they had such fresh ideas and mm-hmm. such, um, such interesting perspective. And with those little touches, I think, add up to make the book so much more dynamic than I could have ever imagined. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then, I wonder if a long-term author would resent the intrusion more than you did. Yeah, I think I think in the sense, because of the fact that they really came to me with the idea, mm-hmm. I was very open to, you know, how, how they kind of envisioned having it play out, mm-hmm. and vice versa. I mean, there were a few things that I felt really strongly about doing in this book, to both set it apart from other home cheese making books and to to make sure it was going to be the kind of helpful sort of resource that I wished I had had when mm-hmm. I was trying mm. things out. Mm-hmm. And the publisher was very receptive to those ideas. And the mm-hmm. make sheet was actually a big part of that. <laughs> you, what, now, what, the make sheet was your idea, though, yeah. I presume. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, yeah. you know, that was, I was a little nervous because I know that as a publisher, and, and Rockridge Press publishes a lot of cookbooks, so there's a certain format that a cookbook form, you know, that a, a food making recipe is normally presented in. Right. And I wanted to do something kind of drastically different with the make sheet format. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we reached a really happy medium, I think, in which each category, each style of cheese has its own kind of make sheet uh, uh, template. And then each specific recipe is gone into in more detail. Well, what I liked that you did, uh, I thought it was an excellent format for teaching or learning, is especially in the first two main templates, Mm -hmm. you say, first, you will do this. 
then you say, you will focus on this while you do that. And then you say, here's the recipe. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so it's like really by the time in. you get to the recipe, oh, okay. You're really doing this it. This is what we're doing. <laughs> and then we're going to take notes about it also. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it was very, uh, a lot of steps. It's true. A lot of steps. And I think that if, if for the intrepid person who really wants to do this, they're going to, they're, I'm there with, at their side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But for lazy me, you almost convinced me. But then, <laughs> then like even the goat cheese recipe, you have to wait eight to 12 hours. Well, Diane, you're supposed to go to sleep during that time. I know, but what if you're not home at the right time? Well, that's what, what's so important also about the make sheet. Uh, In the makesheet uh, template, okay. you have a space at which you actually write down the planned time based on the amount of time needed for each step. Okay. And that's huge because if you're a new cheesemaker trying to figure out how to do this stuff, I mean, I definitely had a few times in my early days where I had... Did you have to get out of bed? I I screwed up. (laughs) So I set my alarm for 3.30 in the morning to go flip some cheeses and thought to myself, this is pretty ridiculous. You've you've missed a step here, Elena. Yes, because the goat cheese one has draining also. It's It's like... What you know, you'll be dominated. You'll be stuck in your kitchen all weekend. It's good to do in the winter. <laughs> okay, um, let's see. So, um, oh, I'm wondering where when you said you taught yourself about cheese by going shopping. Mm-hmm. What shops were around then besides oh. Brooklyn Larder? Well, so there was Brooklyn Larder, the Green Grape Provisions, right? Um, which now is a, is a larger shop. Did it you was, know Sabrina? Uh, you know who I met there at who? the counter was Glenn Hills, oh, our friend, yes. longtime cheese industry uh, person who's who now works for an importer, right? Um, so I would go there. I would, of course, go to Murray's, mm-hmm. but Murray's is so busy, and I still had a nine to five Monday through Friday mm-hmm. job. So I would go at the busy time. So I didn't okay. really get to know the crew there mm-hmm. at that time. And it had gotten so much bigger, right? Huge, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and those were probably the three that I frequented the most. Mm-hmm. I also Not went stinky. to. I didn't go to Stinky because I wasn't over in that neighborhood that often. Okay, but I, I mean, I went there a couple times, but it wasn't a. A regular, and then I would. I also found myself in artisanal every oh. now and then. Oh, okay. Yeah, the restaurant. The restaurant. Oh, okay. The, the counter. Talking to nestled. Chantal, or was Chantal still there? I don't know who it was. Oh, but it was okay. very, very early on. I had a couple of key moments at artisanal, <laughs> nestled in the back of the restaurant at that little counter, uh-huh. tasting, you know, whatever Rolf Beeler cheeses right. were. That's on where display. I first worked I uh, for a year and a half. I know. Imagine if we had met then. <laughs> We would have become fast friends. Of course. (laughs) I met Amy then. I know. (laughs) Anyway, okay, so what first inspired you? You talk about the Danish cheese cart. (laughs) What was on the Danish cheese cart? I still think about that cheese cart. Um, So for listeners, I I mentioned in the very beginning of the book that in publishing I had a one, I, I, I scored a big publishing deal that I always felt had nothing to do with my sales prowess, but was because the publisher was so touched by how much I flipped out over this cheese cart at lunch. (laughs) And I mean, it was... Oh, you were on a business trip. I was on a business trip. Oh, okay. Selling selling licensing rights to books. Oh, okay. Which is what I did for a little while. And, um, you know, there was a real Danish Havarti. 
Mm, and okay. which I never would have known was a Havarti. You know, the cheeses weren't marked. This was a pretty sort of rustic cheese cart. Mm-hmm. And there was just tons of different, you know, washed rind, sort of that semi-soft for cheeses that were similar to Havarti, but took it to a whole new level. Mm-hmm. And then also soft triple cream, you know, just local cheeses that mm-hmm. they've just mm. bought from their local cheesemakers. And uh, I was completely bowled over because for me, those flavors... I hadn't had a lot of cheeses that were both sort of had a sour, tangy note, but then were super meaty and mm-hmm. um, and a little funky. And there was just so much going on. Mm. So mm. that was a great business trip for me. Because <laughs> that is not the country <laughs> most people think of being I know. that inspiring cheese-wise. It's true. And I also, that same trip, I was in Copenhagen, and I had another experience where I'd gotten... This is kind of a side story, but I had actually stayed in a cemetery, an ancient cemetery in Copenhagen, way too late and gotten kind of locked in. Because, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, if you've ever been to a really, really old cemetery, it's remarkable. In America, nothing's mm-hmm. old. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I got a little distracted, got locked in, started to rain, night falls, had a whole situation. You by yourself? By myself, and wound up escaping from this sort of freaky situation and running into a little, you know, little bistro in Copenhagen where they served me a warmed camembert with a local berry jam that also then kind of blew my mind. <laughs> and you were saved. And I was saved <laughs> by the camembert. Okay, I just want to tell the listeners one of the sentences that I love in your book. And you might want to explain this sentence. Mm. Thoughtful repetition informs the process. It's true. It's true. That's, that's it, great. Is that cheese making or zen or both? I think that's both. <laughs> I mean, one thing I describe in the book that really got me about cheese making once I started doing it was how much I loved the physical practice of mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you, if you like yoga... Make cheese at home. <laughs> Who knew? I didn't know that. But, uh, and, and it's really that the key is the thoughtful repetition because you're not just going through the motions, mm-hmm. um, especially if you're trying to make better and better cheese. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you really want to do is be mindful of how you're doing what you're doing and how it might differ from the last time or the next time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Diane. And discussing the Beginner's Guide to Cheesemaking. Everyone should run out and buy it and make some cheese. Yeah, make some cheese. It's Cutting the Curd, Diane Stemple on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Saying goodbye for now. listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please 
Join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.